Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We continue our study through Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Him a question to test Him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You tell us what's most important. We thank You that You've told us this. That we can know for sure and for certain what You greatly, most greatly desire of us and from us. Lord, we confess that we have failed to do this. And we pray, Lord God, that we would look to Christ who is our Savior, who did this for us, and who enables us now to do this more and more. And so, Father, we pray that Your Spirit would work in us today, that You would help us grow in love for You, Lord God, that we would have a passion, a desire, a deep longing to grow in this, Lord. We thank You, Lord, for how so many people here at this church do this, that it's evident in the way that they live, that they love You, God, and that they love their neighbor. And Lord, we want to do it more. We want to grow in this as well. And so, Father, be with us today. Holy Spirit, You know who's here. You know what we need to hear. God, You know where we fall short. We, you know where we need to be encouraged, where we need to be rebuked. Lord, where we need to be convicted of sin. Father, how we need to look to Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, we beg You to come and uh, preach to us and speak to us that we might hear and listen and be changed and be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so help us, God, we beg, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw a confrontation between Jesus and a group called the Sadducees. And, and just to put this section of Scripture in perspective, this is the last week of Jesus' life what we've been studying. We saw the triumphal entry in chapter 21. Jesus is on His way to die. And all these attacks are coming from religious teachers and leaders during this last week of His life, this last time of, of His teaching time. And we see the enemy attacks intensify. And these Sadducees attack and they denied much of the truth of God's Word, even denying the resurrection of the dead. They denied uh, all of the Bible except for the first five books. But Jesus answered their objections with power and beauty and perfection, speaking like no man ever spoke. We saw that we are to live for another world last week. We're to live for heaven Jesus is God's final word to us. We saw that Jesus is the final and 
perfect interpreter of God's Word, that Jesus is the one who will fulfill all of God's Word, and Jesus is the greatest joy and pleasure and treasure of heaven that we are to live for. And so the exhortation last Sunday was to pursue the true knowledge of God and His Word. Trust and follow Jesus, and you will live forever and never die. Today, we see the next round of confrontation. There's another round coming. This one is with the Pharisees. They keep trying to tempt and test Jesus. And they ask Him about the greatest commandment in the law. And the exhortation this week is with God's help. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is everything. With God's help, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is everything. Point number one, the Pharisees come to test Jesus again. Look at verses 34 through 36. But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced, or muzzled, or shut up, the Sadducees... They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? As we've seen, the Pharisees had already tried to entangle Jesus in his words with the question about paying taxes to Caesar, and now they see the failure of the Sadducees, and so they want round two. So they tempt again, just like Satan. And notice they send a lawyer or a teacher of the law or an expert in the law, a scribe. They've been beaten up, so they send in the big guns. And so they they pick their best guy. Jesus has got us in the past. He's got the Sadducees, so we got to find the best guy we got, an expert in the law, a lawyer. And they send him. And they're trying to get Jesus to say something that contradicts the law, or something that will get him in trouble. And just like Satan, they're asking these questions with evil and wicked intent. Beloved, remember, Satan is real. Demons are real. Being possessed by demons is real. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour And here we see these wicked men who come as angels of light, just like Satan. They are tempting and testing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by asking questions. Sometimes you hear in school, there's never a dumb question. Actually, there is. There are wicked questions. There are evil questions. Questions asked that... You know, the questioner acts like they want to know the truth, but they just really want to test and tempt. There are wicked questions that you can ask. And we see that here by the Pharisees. They are wicked and evil. They need the gospel. They need the gospel. We need the gospel. Because... Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you too are like these Pharisees. 
you too are, are wicked and evil. Even if you don't think you are. <laughs> you too are under the wrath of God. You too need a Savior. Friend, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken His commands in thought, word, and deed. We, we have failed to do the very thing Jesus says we're to do here, to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. We failed to do that. We've sinned against Him in that way. We failed to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you really get what that means, it will crush you. You loved yourself so much this morning. You made sure you had breakfast. You made sure you took a shower, that you put on clothes. You made sure you got to bed last night. You made sure you got enough sleep. You made sure you were careful getting here. You made sure you love yourself so much. And we're to love others with the same passion, the same focus, the same creativity, the same exertion as we love ourselves. Friend, if you get that, it will crush you what God demands of you. You'll say, how, Lord? You'll say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, because I've never done that in my life. Friend, we've all sinned against God. We've not loved God that way. We've not loved our neighbors that way. And for that sin, we deserve to be crushed like roaches. We, we deserve to be cast into hell forever. The Bible uses language of, of beasts and animals to describe us in our sin. Romans 3 says we've become worthless. We've become worthless. That there's none righteous, no, not one. That there's none who seeks for God. And because God is good and holy, because He's righteous, He's so good to us. We deserve His wrath in hell forever. Where He will be the punisher. Where Jesus will inflict wrath and vengeance on us forever and ever and ever. That's what we deserve. But praise God... He is rich in mercy. And, and though we were like children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, who's rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, He did something to save us. He sent His Son, Jesus, the God-man, to live a perfect life. He never sinned. He obeyed these commandments perfectly. He, he, he loved like no man ever loved, and He died. He died for sinners where he suffered the wrath of God, where the father turned his face away. I, I bought a book this week on the cross and it made me so mad because it denies things like this, that the father is angry at the son on the cross. Friend, you got to get that. Jesus bore the wrath of God. And when I say bore the wrath of God, it means he was, the father was angry with the son. That's the heart of the gospel. The hell that we deserve was born by Christ. He was forsaken by God. The Father turned His back on Him. He suffered the hell that we deserve. If He didn't, then we're going to hell. He suffered that. And He died. And He was buried. But on the third day, on the third day, 
On the third day, He rose from the dead. He's alive. Up from the grave, He arose. The mighty power o'er His foes. He's alive. And all who turn from their sins, all who repent and believe in Him shall be saved. All who trust in Jesus. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't preach well enough to get into heaven. You can't be a good enough mother to get into heaven. You, you can't be a good enough worker or husband or wife or obedient child to get into heaven. You, you simply must cry out to God for mercy. Lord, save me. I believe on Your Son. I turn from my sins. Please save me, O oh God. And you can do it right now. We don't need to play just as I am 50 times and work on your emotions to get you to come up to the front. You can trust in Christ right now. Call upon Him. Believe on Him and He'll save you. This is the good news of the gospel. And friend, when you believe on Christ, He changes your heart. He, he takes away your heart of stone and, and gives you a heart of flesh so that you then delight in His commandments. And you hate when you fail. You hate when you sin. But you get back up again. And you fight again. And you cry out, Lord, help me love you more. Help me love my neighbor more. He gives you a new heart. He puts His Spirit in you. And with God's help, calls you to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself because this is everything. Point number two. With God's help, love God. How does Jesus answer this question, this, this wicked question with evil motives? Look at verses 37 through 38. And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy. He's always quoting the Bible. He quotes the Bible. It's good to quote the Bible. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 through 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It sounds like God wants this commandment everywhere. <laughs> that it should be on our hearts and minds. We talk about it all the time. It's just on our mind, on our heart. We love to talk about God, think about God, meditate about, about God, put God's Word uh, around our house teach it to our children. It, 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 it's everything. Notice one slight change in the way Jesus quotes this passage. It, should we love God with all our might or all our mind? Did you notice Jesus changes that a little bit? There's really no difference in meaning. The point is that you should love God with all that you are. And beloved, Jesus is God. He can change and add what He wants. Amen. Daniel Doriani comments on this. In other places, Jesus commands us to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Mark 12.30, Luke 10.27. We must not view these slight variations as points of tension or disagreement. The variations show that we should love the Lord with all of our faculties, all of our power, all of our being, all that we are. Beloved, notice this shows, this commandment shows what is most important to God. (laughs) What is most important to God? It ain't you. Boy, we need to hear this in America. You're not most important to God. Did you know that? I'm not most important to God. Human beings are not the center of God's universe. He does not answer to human beings. He, he, he does not bow to human beings' little likes and dislikes. What is most important to God? God. God is most important to God. God is most important to God. And some people, the people who aren't born again, they hate that. Because they're most important to them. Their opinion is what matters. I I was interacting with a lady online this week and she was telling me all about what she thinks God's like. And I almost wrote back and said, Ma'am, I don't really care what you think about God or what I think about God. I care about what God thinks about God. But I didn't. I just let her have the last word. We shouldn't care what other people think about God. In one sense, we shouldn't care about what we think about God. What does God think about God? (laughs) We're flimsy. Little human beings gone in a breath. Poof, gone. Here and gone tomorrow. Hundred years, y'all all all be gone. I'll be gone. What does God think about God? Well, the greatest commandment shows us what God thinks about God. What is most important to God? God is most important to God. This is so important for you to get. God is God. God created us for His own glory. Whatever we do, we're to do it for God's glory to show that God is most important. God chose Israel for His own glory. God rescued Israel from slavery, from Egypt, for His own glory. God redeemed us for His own glory. We're told three times in Ephesians chapter 1. And Jesus is coming back for God's own glory. God says in Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Beloved, I remember reading this in college and I remember telling a friend of mine, Hey, I'm reading this book and it says God is the most important thing to God. He thought it was crazy. I'd never heard it before either. Really? God loves Himself more than He loves me. I thought I was everything to God. (laughs) Beloved, get this. Maybe this is new to you. God loves Himself more than He loves you. God worships God most of all. God delights in God most of all. God is all about God most of all. And that's good news for you. That's the way God loves you the most. The way God loves you the most is to be most passionate about Himself because He is the only one who can satisfy your soul. 
He's the only one who can give you what your heart really longs for. Look at what the world's longing for. They're longing for all this stuff. They're longing for fame and glory in sports. You'll see it put on display. You'll see the idolatry put on display next weekend where some people pay two and a half million dollars to have a box seat in the Super Bowl. So they can play a little game. So adults can play a little game. I mean, that's what it is. It's a little game. <laughs> the only reason it's worth two and a half million dollars is people pay that much to see a little game. And so we're trying to satisfy something deep within by little games and entertainments and, and movies and sex, illicit sex and drugs and pornography and, and gorging ourselves with food and, and expensive food and expensive this and expensive that and we want these clothes and this car and this house and this stuff and we, we want and want this relationship and this and that. We want and want and want and we're trying to satisfy what only God can satisfy. Yes. Yes. Everything else is empty. Everything else is empty. God alone satisfies. And so it's good that God is all about Himself because then He gives Himself to you as the only one who can satisfy your soul. And so it's good and righteous and loving for God to be first and foremost about Himself. And you see that in this command. That He commands, the greatest commandment is to love Him. Do you even receive that command as love? So many people receive God's commands as, Oh! Oh! They, 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 some churches turn all the imperatives into, Well, Jesus did it for you, so you don't have to worry about it. I mean, I preach that, but not the, no, you don't have to worry about it part. Jesus did do it all for you, so that you can then do it. And so they, they always hear the imperatives of Scripture as burden. Burden. But this is love. Again, children, it's like, go eat chocolate ice cream. Or whatever your favorite food is. Go eat filet mignon. Go to the sportsman's dinner and gorge yourself with bear and alligator. Now that's nasty to me. I'm going to taste it, but... Pick your favorite food. It's like God commanding you to do what you love to do. When you're born again, you love the imperatives. Yes, God, I want to love you with all my heart. I know I fail. I hate when I do. But help me do it more because it's in those moments, Lord, when I'm most happy and satisfied. What does it mean to love God? What, what does it mean to love God? Well, first of all, beloved... True love for both God and neighbor is defined for us in God's Word. Anything done in disobedience to God's Word is not loving. And, and you, we need to hear that in our culture today, right? Because you hear that love is love. Just do what you feels right. Just, why are you upset, so upset that these two people are loving each other? Well, if God says it's wrong, then it's not loving. We have to be tied to the Word of God in defining love. I was, as I was going home to my family over the Christmas break, 
uh, I listened to a sermon by John Piper on Romans 8.28, and uh, I'm going to be quoting from him a lot in this sermon, as if that's anything new, uh, uh, because he was so helpful for me on thinking about this issue of loving God and loving neighbor. Um, uh, <clears throat> what loving God does not mean. I, I want to talk about that first. What loving God does not mean. Loving God is not meeting God's needs. And so sometimes we think of love as, oh, I'm going to help this person, I'm going to help that person. Loving God is not helping God. He does not need your help for anything. (laughs) He doesn't need me to be a preacher. He doesn't need me. Uh, He doesn't need Alney Baptist Church. He doesn't need anything. And so loving God does not mean meeting God's needs. Acts 17, 24 through 25 The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He gives, He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So loving God is not meeting God's needs. Loving God is not love for the gifts God gives. Loving God is not love for the gifts God gives. God gives us some amazing gifts. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. He gives us all these amazing physical and material gifts and the pleasures of this world, clothes and food and cars and homes and and new babies and and husbands and wives and children and, and jobs. It's amazing what we have. Books, books, amazing books. I have friends in, 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 in Kenya, Oyugis. And, and, and to have theological books is amazing. We take it for granted. I take it for granted that I have Westminster Theological Seminary. I can drive up there and have a, a plethora of books where other Christians in the world have no access to this. God has given us so many gifts for which we should be thankful. But love for God is not love for those gifts. Loving God is not the good works that love for God motivates you to do. Loving God is not the good works that love for God motivates you to do. Yes, love does good works. But you can do all kinds of good works and sacrificial works and still not have love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And so great sacrifice, even giving away all that you own or or dying for somebody, does not necessarily mean you're loving. Love will do great acts of sacrifice, but great acts of sacrifice do not necessarily mean you're loving. That song I got into Christian... Uh, 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 songs when I was in high school. They wanted us to stop listening to all secular music and only listen to Christian songs. So they had all these people start writing songs that sound like secular music. And 
uh, 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 what, what is the uh, the Jesus freak uh, people? Uh, DC Talk, DC Talk, yes, 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 yes. They, they had a song called Love is a Verb. Love is a Verb. I like the song. It, it is a verb, but it's more than a verb. 1 Corinthians 13 says it's more than a verb. It's more than actions. John Piper writes, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This does not mean keeping his commandments is love. It means love is the kind of heart that prompts you to keep commandments. In John 21, 15-17, Jesus illustrates this connection when he asks Simon Peter three times, do you love me? When Peter says, yes, Jesus does not say good, that must mean you are obeying my commandments because obeying my commandments is love. He doesn't say that. <laughs> no, he said, feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, act like it. Love my flock and feed them. Feeding sheep is the fruit of loving Jesus. So what does loving God mean? What does it mean to love God? Again, I call on John Piper as witness. Love for God is a matter of the heart's esteem for God before it produces anything. Love for God is a matter of the heart's esteem for God before it produces anything else. It is something internal and involves spiritual emotions. It is not, in essence, a deliberated choice or a deed. It's more like a reflex of the heart to the perfections of God revealed especially in Christ. Loving God is desiring God Himself beyond His gifts. Loving God is treasuring God Himself beyond His gifts. Love for God is delighting in God Himself beyond His gifts. Love for God is being satisfied in God Himself beyond His gifts. Love for God is cherishing God Himself beyond His gifts. Love for God is savoring God Himself beyond His gifts. Love for God is valuing God and prizing God and revering God and admiring God beyond His gifts. All these words are grasping for that essential response of the heart to the revelation of the glory of God, especially in Christ through the gospel. It is a glad reflex of the heart to all that God is for us in Christ. Do you feel that way about God? Do you delight in God that way? Beloved, this was so revolutionary to me in high school because I never had. I never related to God that way. As my joy, as my delight, as my all in all. That is what it means to love God. And when you do that, it will lead to action. Does God move you more than anything else? Beloved, think about what moves you. Children, think about what moves you. Again, I'm trying to get at the affections. When I, was, when I was your age, Friday moved me. <laughs> I, I was speaking at the chapel at uh, Philmont Christian Academy this Thursday because they had Friday off. And then they had Saturday off and Sunday off. They had a three-day weekend, and I was trying to explain to them what peace is. And, and I, I said, you guys get tomorrow off, right? Yeah! You get a three-day weekend, right? Yeah! I said, that, that experience of peace and joy and, and, and just satisfaction and knowing that you've got three days off, that, that's sort of what peace is. 
But of course, that's based on your circumstances. God gives a peace like that that you can have in any circumstance. And so what, what, what moves you? What moves you like a three-day weekend? What moves you like, like the last day of class before summer break? What moves you before you're going to that amusement park and you're so excited and happy? What, I, I was so moved when I was a kid for Christmas morning. Get up at 4 a.m. What, what did I get? One of my favorite gifts was a, was a go-kart. I got a go-kart. I ride the go-kart. Mom let me drive it on the road, following her behind the car. One time I got a G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. That moved me. I got up at 4 a.m. for that. I didn't need sleep for that. I didn't need food for that. I didn't want breakfast. I wanted to put it together and play. I had food for which my parents did not know. It was this aircraft carrier that moved me. And I loved that thing with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm trying to get, get at what it means to love God. This joy, this excitement. When, when you propose to her and she says, yes, what did that feel like, Isaac? That moved you. Yes. When you get the pregnancy test back and it's positive with, with Malachi, yes, you're moved. And those are good things. Praise God. How much more should the heart be moved by the infinite creator who gives those gifts? 24-7. That's what our God deserves. And we fall short, don't we? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need a Savior. And yet we want to grow in that. We want to grow in that. What, what, what does it mean to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and, 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 and dividing all these up? We shouldn't divide them all up. It basically means love Him with everything you are. Love Him with everything that you are. All of your being. It means desiring God Himself with everything that you are. It means treasuring God with everything that you are. It means delighting in God with everything that you are. It means being satisfied with everything that you are in God. It means cherishing God with everything that you are. It means savoring God with everything that you are. It means valuing and prizing and revering and, and admiring God with everything that you are. And when you do, and only when you do, will you be satisfied. Because if you make any of those other good things that bring you joy, aircraft carriers, go-karts, chocolate ice cream, babies, husbands, wives, if you make them ultimate and you make them God, they will leave you empty. Empty. God was made for that place in your heart. And only God. And so with God's help, love God with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is everything. Point number three, with God's help, love your neighbor. Jesus goes on. They didn't ask for this. <laughs> but Jesus goes on in verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, beloved, notice the Pharisees didn't ask for this, but, but they, they think they love God. <laughs> and they're dead wrong. They think they love God while they treat their neighbors with contempt. Remember the parable Jesus told to those who were self-righteous and trusted in themselves and 
uh, and, and, and were contemptuous toward others. Luke 18, 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. These Pharisees loved money. They loved self. They treated others with contempt. They looked down on others and were self-righteous. And, and Jesus wants them to know, you think you love God, but you don't. Because if you can't love your neighbor who you can see, how can you love God whom you can't see? And so the way we treat other people is a barometer of how we really love God. I heard, I heard one person say, think of the, the person in the world you have the hardest time getting along with. You have the toughest relationship with. That's the measure of your relationship with God. And so Jesus gives a second commandment that's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here Jesus again quotes the Bible. He's quoting the Bible. Leviticus, this is Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, first of all, I want to talk about what uh, it does not mean. <laughs> what does loving your neighbor as yourself not mean? It does not mean that you need to learn to love yourself first so that you can then love others. So many preachers and even people talk about it this way. This is so wrong. If, if you take this commandment and say, well, I've got to work on myself and self-care and, and be in safe spaces with myself and, and I've got to work on myself and love myself and then Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself so I've got to work on loving myself and then I'll be ready to love others. Friend, hear me. That is a satanic interpretation of this passage. If you ever hear somebody say that, even if he's a preacher, say, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes people say Jesus reserved his harshest critiques for the Pharisees. No, he didn't. <laughs> Peter, one of, the, one of the twelve, one of the inner three, one of the closest ones to him, he reserved his greatest condemnation for. It's worse than a brood of vipers. Get behind me, Satan. When I read books on the cross, sometimes I want to say, get behind me, Satan. You're minimizing the suffering of Jesus. And that's exactly why Jesus told Peter to get behind him. Because he was minimizing the sufferings of Jesus. It's a big issue. Don't minimize the cross. No, that's a satanic interpretation of this verse. That is not what Jesus means. Jesus knows you already love yourself. You love yourself. You love yourself. You love yourself a whole lot. Ephesians 5, 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. There you have it. Straight from God Himself. Ephesians 5, 29. I like putting Bible verses on things. <laughs> For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. This is not necessarily a bad thing either. Ephesians 5.29 doesn't speak of that as a bad thing. 
There's a kind of self-love that's not a bad thing. It's what Jesus appeals to when He warns you not to go to hell. (laughs) Jesus is appealing to your self-love when He holds out rewards and warns of hell and says, come to Me. Your your self-love of not wanting to go to hell. So it's not... There's a kind of self-love that's not bad and sinful, but it's just the way God made us. Blaise Pascal spoke about this, wrote about this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action, of every man, even of those who hang themselves. And so the objection is, well, what if the person tried to kill themselves? That shows they hate themselves. No, it doesn't. It shows they love themselves. And they think that whatever is in death is better than what I got now, and I can't take this anymore. I can't live this anymore. And so because I love myself so much and want relief from this suffering, I'm going to take my own life. They love themselves. Cutting, they love themselves. It gives you relief. And so it's not self-harm in the, in the sense. It is self-harm. It's wrong. It's bad. But they're doing it because it's some kind of relief and pleasure from the tension. Everything people do is because they want to be happy. And they think, no matter how wrong and foolish it is, they're going to do it to make themselves happy. Again, God assumes this. This is the way He made us. Again, Piper writes, Jesus says in effect, I start with your inborn, deep, defining human trait, your love for yourself. This is a given. I don't command it. I assume it. All of you have a powerful instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. You all want to be happy. You all want to live and to live with satisfaction. You want food for yourself. You want clothes for yourself. You want a place to live for yourself. You want protection from violence against yourself. You want meaningful or pleasant activity to fill your days. You want some friends to like you and spend some time with you. You want your life to count in some way. All of this is self-love. Self-love is the deep longing to diminish pain and to increase happiness. That's what Jesus starts with, and He says, as yourself. When He says, as yourself. So, so what, what, what loving your neighbor as yourself means is love others with as much time and thought and care and passion and creativity and money and help and delight as you already love yourself. Again, beloved, think of the time you spent on yourself just in the last 24 hours. You spent a lot of time on yourself. Made sure I got my dinner. Made sure I got to bed at a certain hour. Made sure I set my alarm and got up. Made sure I clothed myself so I wouldn't be cold. Made sure I ate my breakfast. Made sure I combed my hair and put my makeup on and look good and maybe brush my teeth and take care of my bad breath in the morning. I love myself. And this command of Jesus is as much care, as much time, as much energy as you spend on loving self. Love your neighbor that way. Love your neighbor that way. That is an amazing, amazingly tall command when you get it. That is an amazingly 
tall command when you get what Jesus is saying here, when you get what the law is saying. Do you think you've ever done that for five minutes? Anybody ever think they've done that for five minutes? Again, Piper, as you long for food when you are hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourself, so long for nice clothes for your neighbor. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so desire a comfortable place to live for your neighbor. As you seek to be safe and secure from calamity and violence, so seek comfort and security for your neighbor. As you seek friends for yourself, so be a friend to your neighbor. As you want your life to count and be significant, so desire that same significance for your neighbor. As you work to make good grades for yourself, so work and help your neighbor make good grades. As you like to be welcomed into strange company, so welcome your neighbor into strange company. As you would that men would do to you, do so to them. Matthew seven twelve is another place in Matthew's Gospel where he says, this is all the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Beloved, this is what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's an other's orientation. So that right now, if, if I'm speaking, I want other people to listen to what I'm saying. And... And, and so loving me would be listening as if you were up here speaking and you wanted to be heard. Now that's loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, it, 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 loving your neighbor as you love yourself is being just as passionate and concerned with your neighbor's joy and happiness and satisfaction as you are with your own joy, happiness and satisfaction. It, it, it's the child who, who is just as happy that his sister got the last cookie. Any, any squabbles in families over that? The last cookie? The last piece of pie that your mom makes that's so amazing? Loving your neighbor as yourself is, is you have just as much joy, uh, 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 Logan, that Ben got the last piece of pie as if you had got it. Right? That, that's what it means is, is, you know, if you got the last piece, right? When we get the last piece, woohoo! I got the last piece of pie. Thanks, mom, for choosing me. But, but, but it's when Ben gets the last piece, woohoo! I'm so happy Ben got it and I didn't. I'm so happy because I love him just as I love myself. That, that's what that command is. We need Jesus. I hope you're getting that as well, how much this shows we need Jesus. It's the single person who is just as happy that their friend got married as if they had been the one that got married. So say you're single. You've been waiting for decades to get married. And then the young person just out of college gets married. How will you go to that wedding? How will you go to that wedding? Will you go rejoicing with as much joy as if it were you walking down the aisle? Or will there be a little, yeah, I'll go and I'll be happy and Lord, help me be thankful, help me be content, help me, help me, uh, help, help me uh, well, welcome them and be happy for them. But God, you know deep in my heart, Lord, why not me? I've failed. 
I failed to love him just as I love myself because loving him just as I love myself is as happy and excited as if I were getting married that day. We need Jesus. It's the student who is just as happy for her friend who graduated with top honors as if she was the one who got top honors. Summa cum laude. I don't know if I said that right. I always get those E's mixed up when you're supposed to tell them and when you're not. You you wanted to be first. They got first. Loving them as you love yourself is being just as happy for them as if you'd gotten it first. Just as happy from the heart. We know how to... Congratulations, I'm so happy for you. But inside... I'd be so much happier if that were me. To love your neighbor as yourself is outside and inside. Woo! Yes, I'm so glad Anna got it and I didn't. I'm so happy for her because I love her as I love myself. I'm so happy she got number one. Beloved, heaven will be that way. Heaven will be that way. And and we're pursuing that now. It's the pastor who's just as happy for the pastor down the street whose church is growing as if it were his church growing. It's the man who loves the unborn neighbor in the same way that he was glad that he was loved in the womb and allowed to be born. It's interesting, someone said that all the people who are for abortion have been born. The power of being able to love this way is an intense love for God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord is my strength. We need God's help to do that. And we find the way and power and strength to love people that way grounded in love for God. Again, my favorite definition of love is by John Piper. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others, of course, according to God's Word. Beloved, I want you to notice in this passage that love and law are in harmony with one another. Don't Don't pit love and law against each other. Oh, this church is all law, law, law. And this church is all love, love, love. Well, we need to be a church of both law and love. (laughs) We love the law. We love Jesus. We love Psalm 119. Law and love are in harmony. Law, God's Word, simply shows us how to love. God's Word simply shows us how to love. As, as Brother Anthony's class is showing us, the, all of life has is, is, is got to conform to all of the Bible. The, the Bible shows us how to love. Daniel Doriani comments, We love parents when we honor them. Honor thy father and thy mother. We love our spouses when we're faithful to them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We love neighbors when we respect their property. Thou shalt not steal. We love neighbors when we tell the truth to them about them. Thou shalt not bear false witness. We love them when we will their good rather than coveting their goods. Thou shalt not covet. And so love and law are in total harmony with one another. The the law of God shows us how to love. 
And beloved, also notice this. You can't claim to love God if you don't love your neighbor. You, you can't claim to love God if you don't love your neighbor. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And notice this as well, beloved. True love is both sacrificial and painful and free and life-giving. Both of those are true. Both of those are true. True love is both sacrificial and painful. And free and life-giving. True love makes great sacrifices. It can be hard. It gets its hands dirty. It, it, you think of the sufferings that the Apostle Paul went through. The, 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 the beatings and without food, and in shipwreck, and sleepless nights, the things he went through motivated by love, true love makes sacrifices that are hard and painful. Think of Jesus in Gethsemane, crying out to his Father, if there's any way, take this cup away from me. True love is sacrificial and can be painful. But also, true love is also free and life-giving. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And, 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 the, and the point I'm trying to make with this is what it says about Jacob, who loved Rachel. And there's a sense in which the love that we have for God and, and the love that we have for others, it, 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 it can, can take away the pain. Such that we say things like, David Livingston, I never made a sacrifice. Because we, we realize the gain, the gain that we have is so much greater than the loss. And so there's a sense in which love frees us and we're filled with joy when we love and we realize we never make sacrifices compared to what God has did for, done for us. Genesis 29.20, remember Jacob was serving seven years for Rachel so he could marry her. And it says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Beloved, when we love others from a joy in God that overflows, it seems like a few days because of the great love we have for God. We want to love in God's strength. As 1 Peter 4.11 says, if you serve, serve in the strength that God supplies so that in all things God will get the glory. With God's help, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is everything. And last point, point number four, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. That's where I get the little line, this is everything. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Look at verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These two commandments are the foundation and the goal of everything in the law of God. And everything that the prophets of God have spoken. They're the foundation and goal of everything. Let's take those one at a time. Foundation. If love for God and others is not present in your obedience, then it's not obedience. 
if love for God, this, this is why all the nice things people in other religions do are sinful. Did you know that? I mean, they're really, I, I struggle with this in college. I was like, these Buddhists and Muslims, they seem like nicer people than me. They do good deeds. They do these things for people. They seem nice. What, 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 what's, what's the difference? Everything they do is for the glory of some other God than the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <laughs> Everything they do that's nice and friendly and relatively is a good thing. Feeding the hungry, giving alms to the poor, right? They don't do it for the glory of our, the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's sin. As the Bible says, even the plowing of the wicked is sinful. And, and, and this is why this is so foundational. This command is, is everything. If love for God, the true God, the one true God, and others is not present in your obedience, then it's not obedience. Remember 1 Corinthians 13. I can do all these things and not have love. I gain nothing. All the law and the prophets... Prophets depend on this, Jesus says. If you don't have love, you gain nothing. Not only is it the foundation, it's the goal. The purpose for everything in the law and the prophets is that we might love God and love others. Sort of like 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Listen to how a, a few commentators described this truth that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Craig Blomberg, these two commandments are the greatest because all others flow from them. All other commandments are summed up and or contained in these. R.T. France, all the other commandments are derived from these two commandments. D.A. Carson, the entire biblical revelation demands heart revelation marked by total allegiance to God, loving Him and loving one's neighbor. This is everything. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen again. The Holy Spirit has caused you to be born again to conform you to the image of Christ. Why ultimately? So that you might love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is everything. This is the foundation and goal of everything. So with God's help, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, this is everything. Beloved, I want to give you a testimony as we close of someone who did that. Mark Dever told this story about Philip Prasad. He was born an untouchable Dalit in India. To be an untouchable means that one is consigned from birth to cleaning latrines and hauling human wastes by hand and removing dead animals and other such disease-ridden and dangerous jobs. It means that one does not have a last name. But Philip's family, so they grew up in this environment, he grew up in this environment being treated like dirt, hauling feces around. I heard some descriptions where the women would have these carriers of feces and as they picked it up to take it out of the latrine, it would drip down all over their body. They were untouchables. That's how he grew up. But his family became Christian. And Philip attended a missionary school in the 1950s. They immigrated to the United States where Philip went to college and seminary. He was ordained and got married and eventually became the deputy chief executive officer of the city of Fresno, California. Living the life. 
in America. No more Dalit, no more carrying feces around, no more life like that. But he never forgot the poverty and the situation that he left in his home in North India. In 1983, he returned to India to visit his former home and see how the churches were doing. He found the school and the church of his childhood were closed. He found the oppression of the untouchables, his people, as complete as ever. Following independence from England in 1947, the missionaries had slowly been forced out of India. The untouchables had been isolated in enclaves outside villages and cities. While there, he met an elder in a village. He asked the elder questions about faith in the village. The man didn't answer. Philip asked some more questions. Then the elder looked up at Philip and asked, Where have you been? Where have you been? The words struck Philip like an electric shock. After a long pause, he said, I'm here now. This elder took Philip to his thatched hut. And inside, he dug up a box. Inside the box was a bag of money which he handed to Philip saying, You did not come. We did not know where you were. We tried to carry on without you for years. This holds offerings we've collected all these years. Now please take it. He had been saving this offering for some 20 years to give to a pastor. And he believed Philip was the pastor he was to give it to. This event was an epiphany. A mass movement began. Several more trips to the villages followed and what Philip found shocked him. Whole villages had refused government-offered affirmative action schemes that would have required them to renounce their Christian faith. Their sacrifices moved Philip to take immediate action. He called his wife in Fresno and told her he wanted to use their whole life savings to reach this people. Without hesitation, Elizabeth agreed. Father, grant me a woman like that. Philip wired his resignation to the city of Fresno and began a ministry to his people. A quarter of a century later, there are almost one million Christians among this people. It is more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus said. And Mark Dever ended that story by saying this, Don't misunderstand me. Philip is not going to be saved because he did this. But he did this because he was saved. Friends, Christians give their all to love God and to love others. Your life is quickly being spent. Is it being spent on something worth your life being spent? Father, I just want to pray now before we look to Jesus. Lord, we want to spend our lives on things that are worth being spent. Father, we pray that You would help us. We, we want to do this, God. We, 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 we want to not only see how Christ has fulfilled this for us, but God, <laughs> Jesus, You did this for us that we might live this way. And so, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, You would come and show us, Lord, show us ways in which we're not presently loving You with all of our heart and soul and mind. And Lord, show us ways, Holy Spirit, in which we're not loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Neighbor being everybody around us. So Holy Spirit, do that. As we look to Christ, 
who did do this. Lord, may we be moved by your spirit and empowered to live this way even more deeply, more faithfully. And we ask it for Christ's sake. And so, beloved, I do want to end and look to Christ because it's true. Jesus is the one man, the only man who ever perfectly obeyed these two greatest commandments perfectly and then died on the cross for all of our failures and rose from the dead for all of our failures that God might accept us and love us even as He loves His own Son. Jesus alone fulfilled the greatest commands, obeying all that God demands, then took His wrath with nail-pierced hands and conquered death. Alive He stands. What above all does God require? This command is the law entire. Love the Lord with every desire. He'll set your heart and mind afire in love for Him that does inspire. Your love for others won't expire. For God Himself's your joy supplier. And from this joy you won't retire. For God the Son took all our mire, doing all God's laws require. And on that cross was lifted higher, took upon Himself God's ire, so all men would come admire the risen Christ who fills with fire. Grant you righteousness attire. For you, eternal life acquire. May He be your great desire. Bow to Him, your only sire. He'll help you do the law entire. All praise to Him with shouts and choir. Love is central to this command. Without love, we cannot stand. We're nothing, and God will withstand. We won't enter the promised land. Our whole life is sinking sand. We need a Savior. God has planned to send Him here to hope expand. He met the law's greatest demand, was slaughtered by His Father's hand. He's the love God did command. So trust in Him. You won't be damned. But in your heart, He will expand to flames of love. You will be fanned. From God's kingdom, are you not far? Come and trust the morning star. For your sins, He took the scar. He became the sin you are. Come to Him, He'll set you free. Trust the Son and you will be beloved by the great one in three. For all love, He is the key. Since He died upon the tree and rose to make all death to flee, He'll send you on a loving spree. Your source, His love, an ocean sea. Christ Jesus is God's love command. Our great delight in whom we stand and more than any joy or gland, Christ is all our joy grand. All things else are sinking sand. He's the greatest love that spanned the everlasting time God's planned. He died and bore God's angry hand who struck the shepherd dead. But and then rose alive to life expand. By faith alone you're just and stand to love and treasure your God and to love your neighbor, His demand. With heart, mind, soul, let's understand. Love God the most and fight withstand the devil's evils bound and banned. God loved us first. So that command we do through Him who from His hand grants by His Spirit each demand. For Christ is all our wonderland. Beloved, with God's help, love God with all your heart soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, for this is everything.
Father, help us meditate upon the words of Christ. Father, we thank You so much that You loved us first. We thank You so much for sending Jesus to die for us, to live these commands for us. For Lord, we have utterly failed in ways we are probably not even aware to love You as we should and love our neighbor as we should. We thank You so much for Jesus. Father, let, let this meditation move us to gratitude and thanksgiving for Jesus, that He did do this, that He died for our failures and rose from the dead, that we might be forgiven. And also, Lord, let this move us and encourage us to want to do this more, to grow in love for You and love for others. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would have our way with us, that You would apply this Word to our hearts and teach us, God. Teach us and encourage us to love You with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Help us, God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.